podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, I'm Sai and welcome to today's Podcast Nation, the home of our cricket series, The State of Play. This is episode number seven. You can find this show in video format at youtube.com slash acepodcastnation and the audio versions of all your favourite podcast and radio platforms, uh, the links to which are all in the description. Ace Podcast Nation, obviously a home to many different shows and series featuring top guests, expert analysts and more on a variety of subjects from MMA, football, cricket, mental health and lots of other subjects. Give us a follow on social media, uh, the links to which are all in the description below. Of course, subscribe to the YouTube channel, that is the most direct way to support us at the moment. And uh, if you just want to streamline your experience for cricket, you can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter and it's at State of Play underscore uh, and you also find the social media pages for all the, the people you can see on your screen now but uh, with no further ado let's introduce them all we have first the uh, the usual trio we have uh, West Indian batsman Mr. Kieran Powell how goes it my friend? Not bad, I'm all right buddy all right buddy and I got a bit of relief in me today because like I just saying then I've been feeling a bit rough and I had a Covid test but uh, all good, negative, so uh, and I'm starting to feel a little bit better today as well on my chest. Friday I did a, the live football show and I was losing my voice halfway through it. And I was like, that's not a good uh, good thing for someone who talks constantly. But uh, yeah, he's coming back. And uh, joining us we have uh, former Glamorgan bowler, Mr. Nye Norman. How goes it, my friend? Yeah, very good, thanks mate, yourself? All good, mate. Have you got a different camera this week? I do. It's uh, I've got a MacBook, so stationary nice. one. Stationary, so we're not cutting off half your head. No. When we had um, Courtney Walsh and Corey Collymore together, and they <laughs> kept moving, they the two of them kept moving. So the camera was trying to adjust, so it was like cutting off Nye's head in some of the shots. But uh, all good. And uh, joining us is another top guest from the world of cricket. He's none other than a true legend of English cricket. Playing for Leicestershire, Lancashire, Boland in South Africa, Derbyshire, and of course making over 140 appearances for England. It's Mr. Phil DeFreitas. How are you, Phil? Uh, very well, thank you. Very well. Nice, nice to be on the show. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Um, so first of all, Phil, um, like me and the boys talked about it a bit on the uh, the last show because they actually broke the day that we recorded with them. Um, Courtney Walsh and Courtney Collymore, but uh, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on uh, Dean Jones. Uh, obviously, he passed away uh, recently, and just uh, him as an opponent and as a man, really, um, and sort of any stories you had about him or just memories, really. Yeah, Dino, Dino and I were very good friends, funny enough, because um, obviously playing against Dino international-wise, England versus Australia, but also Dino came over for Derbyshire, Captain Derbyshire, 
and uh, made me vice captain. To him. And uh, he was he was he was an interesting character. He was I I I, I loved Dino. I loved uh, playing with Dino on, on the cricket field. He played it hard, uh, but he was a terrific leader, led from the front. Um, you know things like you know on on the on, on a on the field would argue with disagree with about certain things and then the next day you come in thinking oh no god i've got to you know see dino whatever and it's all gone and it says all right mate we're doing now we you know you know and it's all wiped out and that's what i loved about him but as a character you know he was a terrific you know he was a great bloke and it affected me quite a bit to be fair because uh you know, so i knew him that well uh, mm. and it's really really sad and, you know cricket lost a, a wonderful player and a great bloke as well yeah, it was shocking, just out of the blue, and like I say, tremendous, uh, tremendous player, and by all accounts, seems to have been a, a tremendous guy as well. Um, okay, so what we like to do, Phil, to sort of start us off, is uh, so people can get a little feel for you and and your tastes and whatnot. Is uh, we do what we call the magnificent seven, which is uh, just seven quick questions, and you just uh, give the first answer which springs to mind. Nothing too tricky, he says. Okay. Uh, okay. Magnificent seven for Phil de Freitas. Uh, Robin Smith or Alan Lamb? Alan Lamb. Uh, ben Stokes, Andrew Flintoff or Ian Botham? Ian Botham. Uh, your toughest opponent? Viv Richards. How many? He's come up, I think... So much in the, in these uh, nine, haven't he? He's come yeah. up like loads and loads of times. Speaks for the man. Uh, the greatest fast bowler of all time. The great and the, the sadly, Mark and Marshall. Yeah. Uh, Favorite grounds to play at? Lords. Uh, best roommate. Uh, Ian Botham. <laughs> don't imagine that was entertaining uh, and then finally uh, laziest trainer uh, Phil Tufnell <laughs> two characters there straight away which uh, you obviously spent a lot of time with playing uh, must have been interesting playing with those guys very much so <laughs> Um, all right, then. So before we get into uh, kind of your career and, and some of your memories and stuff, uh, we're just to talk some cricket generally. Um, I think, well, we was Tuesday today, so we'll start with T20, the Blast Finals Day. Um, so they did very well to get it on in the first place, uh, Nye. But they did get it on. It was a shortened, uh, shortened format. But uh, what did you make of it generally? Uh, yeah, mate, I've uh, I watched them all, to be fair. I thought, uh, as I said earlier, the ECB did well to get it on, considering everything, all the rain they had Saturday and Sunday. Um, and I have to say, I thought, well, all three games were good. Um, they were all going down to the wire. I think the, the semi-final between Notts and Lancashire would have gone right to the last ball, and then Dan Christian at 24 and over and took the game away from Lancs. And then the final itself, um, Ben Duckett really sort of put, him, put his name back up there which, you know, he had a little spell with England. I think he went to Bangladesh and India, uh, two very, very tough places to tour, which I'm sure the guys will agree with, especially for a batter. Um, 
And then he, he did what we, we know he can do. He won a game for Knotts, which he was accused of not doing last year. So big effort by him and a good win for Knotts. Yeah, it was, a, it was a really enjoyable day. Um, like a Sunday lunchtime, I did not think we were going to be seeing it. I was wondering whether we were going to get the... Uh, the like the robot it's a bowl out I think isn't it even if they can't get it done in the in the required sort of reserve days and stuff which I was like oh, are we gonna see that now but luckily we didn't and it was uh, it was enjoyable stuff Ben Duckett's supremely talented um I felt a bit sorry for him from his England point of view because like you mentioned the places where he went to tour were very very difficult to go um especially for you know for a young batsman coming in um Kieran, did you catch much of the blast? Um, I didn't actually know that it was on until after it was um, over. Oh, looking at the highlights. Ah, okay. Um, have, have you were uh, you played in Bangladesh, uh, Key? Yeah, I've been to Bangladesh. Yeah, what's that? What's it like to play over there? Difficult. Uh, it's, it's well, it depends on, on the pitches that we we play. The first time I went was. Uh, Really great batting pitches. I got two centuries in one test match, and then the other time, find some burners from the practice days. So, <laughs> okay, it's fun three ways before you could actually play. It. So, I mean, yeah, sure. I don't think that there's any necessarily easy place to play in international cricket anymore. So, everyone has no. an advantage. So I don't think that necessarily so that you had an unfair. Opportunity. I guess you could say that you didn't have enough opportunities, but there's no easy place. Yeah, no, there's not, is there? Um, Phil, what did you make of the blasts, uh, blast finals? Um, no, it was great. I mean, like I said, you know, the amount of rain we had um, on the Saturday, I mean, it was just great. I mean, credit goes to, you know, Edgemaster and Warwick, you know, sort of the, the ground staff there, I mean, for what they've achieved to, to be able to get the, you know, the, the finals going I thought that was terrific um, as I said it was you know great for cricket to actually you know have some cricket throughout the summer which was fantastic and credit goes to the ECB as I mentioned um, the only, I mean I, I, I you know, further back I looked at, you know, into the quarterfinals and obviously um, you support in Leicester and the, the game that really intrigued me the most was the one the tie game against Knox and you know and I, I just felt felt for Leicester really going out uh, on a you know on the power play basically, and I thought they could have had one super over or something like that. Um, so that was the only thing I sort of, you know disappointed me really. upset me about the whole thing, but in all, I thought it was terrific and it was great that you know we we got something going this summer. Yeah, there was um, a couple of standout performances. Obviously, Duckett um, in the final. You also had uh, Christian hit that twenty-four, which I think changed the whole. Uh, whole end into that game now, didn't it? Because if he doesn't hit that 24, it's going to go right down to the wire and then it's down to who handles the pressure better. Um, so obviously that stood out. Um, as well as that, uh, the knots keeper, I forget his name, uh, Tom Moores, took that Moores. diving catch, which got rid of um, Jamie Overton. But a superb catch, which kind of got me thinking. Um and Phil, kind of first question for you, I suppose. Um, who's the best keeper that you kind of uh, you've ever seen play or you played with who didn't play international cricket? 
Um, that's yeah, it's quite easy, really. It comes down to Carl Cricken. Carl Cricken, who I played with at Derbyshire. Um, you know, unusual, unusual people. You know, he's one of those who walked in. Uh, but honestly, he was he was a terrific and fantastic keeper. And you know, and you look at him and you think, wow, you know. But we were blessed with so many wonderful keepers. I mean, uh, and that was a problem back then, really. So, um, but Crick, Carl Cricken, I'd say, is one that. I felt, you know, felt a little bit unlucky for. Yeah. Do you, um, do you remember Colin Metzen, who used to play for Plamorgan? Um, so when I was growing up, I was keeper up until, like, my adult days. And, um, like, being from Wales, uh, Colin Metzen, I always used to think, was one of the best wicketkeepers around. And then I look, but he, the problem was he wasn't particularly great with the bat. Um, and now I look back with adult eyes and hindsight and I do wonder whether I was kind of looking at it through biased eyes in that he was you know he was Welsh he played for Glamorgan he was a wicketkeeper like me um what was he like as a keeper am I looking at it through uh Welsh eyes no no you weren't no you weren't biased at all no Colin Madison was a terrific keeper um yeah, I remember there's a, a young you know young lad on the MCC ground staff which is where I first started um, Middlesex, obviously being next up for, um, got me to play a few games for the you know, sort of Middlesex on the you know, on the 25s and second team. And Colin, I played with Colin for a few games as well. So you know, okay. he, he was he was, terrific, he was a terrific keeper, um, as he said. Where the only thing that really obviously let him down was a batting. And you know, but as far as club work, you know, he was terrific. He was brilliant. So he won't he did not be biased at all. That's good to know. I like to just assure myself now and again. But then, um, no, do you remember Colin Metzen? Or was I he do. Like no, no. Your time? He was um, he was director of cricket when he released me at Glamorgan. So yeah, I definitely, uh, <laughs> I definitely remember him. Yeah, I remember him. Do you um, remember him as a player though? Yeah, yeah, I do. I'm uh, agreeing with Phil what um, what he said. There, a lot of the older lads, uh, Matt, uh, Darren Thomas, those guys said he was. A good a gloveman as any. It was just that his, his batting let him down, and I think that was the era when a keeper sort of did have to start to bat. And then obviously now keepers are judged equally on their batting as they are their wicket keeping. Um, so yeah, maybe a case of wrong time. Ten, fifteen years earlier, maybe would have seen him get better honours. I'm not too sure. I, I didn't play much with him, but I, I definitely know Collins. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> Dickie Bird described him as the best wicketkeeper he'd seen since Alan Knott, which is obviously massive praise, isn't it? But um, couldn't back. Couldn't back. Um, so the next uh, story which we're going to discuss, um, which was one which uh, Nye pointed me towards earlier, which was uh, Ashwin in the IPL. Uh, it always seems it seems to be like every every time the tournament's on, we have the same conversation and this same uh, controversy, I suppose, where uh, with the man card, uh, man kids run out, he's done it again to, uh, who was it, Aaron Finch, and he kind of said, that's the final warning, then he did a, an interview and said, first and final warning for the rest of the Premier League, he's basically going to do it if the non-strikers uh, back it up too much. Um, now, this is going to be a really interesting conversation because we've got a couple of bowlers and then a, a batsman. Uh, so we've got a mix, nice mix of current and 
ex-professionals. So let's see where everyone stands first of all. Um, Kieran, as a batsman, where do you stand just on that man card debate generally? Absolutely hated. I think it's disgusting. It's absolutely rubbish. Um, but he's, he's within, I guess, his rights. If you're looking at the spirit of cricket, just, just tell the guy, you know, don't do that. Whatever it is, just have a word with your captain, have a word with your umpire. But every cricketer tries to get some advantage in any way, shape, or form. That's why wouldn't you? Yeah, of course. It's professional sport. And at the end of the day, whatever the sport, professionals will always try and get as close to that line as possible. Um, so before we get into Ashwin, uh, Nye, where do you stand just on it as a concept? Uh, I used to be a staunch no, but I'm slowly starting to lean towards a yes with a warning. Um, no warning. No, that's crap. Warning. Continue to do it. It's no different to coming down the wicket, missing it and getting stumped, if you ask me. So Yeah, and players... Like in recent years, where obviously T20 and, and there's been you know one day scores now compared to 20 years ago are very different, aren't they? What would have been a good score? And I think every run counts. And I think uh, over these last couple of years, the non-striking batsmen are, are getting further and further down the pitch. So I can understand. Uh, bowler's frustrations in trying to rein them in a bit. Where do you stand on it, Phil, generally? Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's a tough one, really, because um, for the spirit of the game, it's, it's a no-go. It's, to me, it's a no-go. But, as you see, with T20 now, and the way the game is now, like you said, every run counts. And you're coaching, you're, you know, you're coaching kids now, you're coaching players now to, you know, to, to be ready to try and sneak that extra run. So, you know, it's, it's part of the game. I agree with, you know, you know, with guys where you give, you give a warning. You know, if you're given a warning and said, look, you know, I'm giving you a warning. If you do it again, you know, I'll run you out. I, I accept that. That's not a problem. Because when there's no warning and it's done, then I think it's, it's just not right. It's not spirit of the game. But uh, I think if you're warning, then you know, that's fair enough. As uh, Nye or Phil, have you ever done it in a game? No, I've had it uh, done to no, me. Never. I've been man cadded. Have you? Yeah, yeah. With warning, or just a warning, uh, or just had it done? No, no. Um, in a game, I had it man cadded. There's a, a club in South Wales where one bowler does it quite a lot, actually. Um, uh, and yeah, I got man cadded. No warning. He appealed. The umpire said, "You want to with upstand that appeal to the captain?" He said, "Yeah," and he gave me out. So technically, I'm out. But so did I I haven't seen uh, this particular incident with Ashwin. Did he run Aaron Finch out or did he just warn him? Anyone know? I think he warned well, him. All I've seen is he's warned him. That's all I've mm. seen. Yeah. Yeah, so in um, Ashwin put out a tweet and he said, let's make it clear. First and final warning for 2020. I'm making it official. Don't blame me later. And the two people he tagged was Aaron Finch and Ricky Ponton. And he just put run out uh, 
the non-striker. So he's uh, he's obviously going to do it. Can anyone tell me the first time there was uh, a man card in a game? In a professional game, at least. Anyone know the year? Want to take a guess? I'm so uninterested in man card in the road. 1980. I'm having a guess it's in the 80s. Is that correct? So uh, the dismissal is named after an Indian bowler, uh, Vino Mankad, who ran out Australian batsman Bill Brown in 1947. Oh, wow. Uh, That's a while so ago. there we go. So yeah. there we go. So uh, Cena's Kieran doesn't care about the Mankad whatsoever. <laughs> Typical batsman. Um, the story, uh, Keen, would you... You uh, pointed me towards when we were chatting earlier was uh, about Afghan Afghanistan uh, cricket or cricketer, sorry, uh, who passed away. What was that about, mate? Uh, I think it was Afghanistan opening batsman. He got into a car crash or something and he passed away. I think it was today or yesterday. Oh, no way. I did not know about that. Um, I'll have a quick look at that. But, um, Tarakai. Najib Tarakai. Was it? Yeah, was that a, yeah. ca- a car accident? Was it? Yeah. That's sad. Do you know? Um, is he a current player? Is he? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say that name yeah, yeah. sounds very familiar. God, that's sad. That's shocking. Nice. It's only twenty nine, isn't it? Yeah. No age. No age at all. That's really sad. I did not. Uh, I did not realise that. Oh. Uh, hmm. That's sad. Very, very sad. So, uh, yeah, condolences to Afghanistan cricket and uh, all his teammates and friends, for sure. Um, right. That's thrown me with that, hasn't it? So, uh, it's because I didn't read your message properly, Di. Uh, Di. Key. And, uh, you sure go. you haven't got COVID? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, maybe that's what it is. It's just my brain's gone completely. <laughs> Just uh, it's melted. Um, right, back on track. Let's get on. Let's talk about you, Phil. And uh, let's uh, let's talk about you. Um, where do we start? What's uh, what was your earliest cricketing memory, which kind of made you fall in love with the game? Um, uh, that's that's very easy, really. Um, growing up, sort of watching, you know, sort of West Indies team in the eighties. Um, you know, they were to me. The ultimate, they were the best. Um, and then, you know, you sort of, with my with my mum and dad supporting, you know, the Western, you know, obviously from the Caribbean. Um, and the, so it was, you know, it, it was in the house, um, watching them. And then you sort of, you know, as a, as a youngster, you, you know, you're, you're watching those guys and you're thinking, wow, you know, I want to be like them one day. And then, obviously, you know, being brought up in England, you know, from the age of six to seven, um, you know, then you had people like both and you know Lambs and all these guys watching those guys play. So you know, they were my early memories really of cricket. And I think, but I, but I think that the West Indies team itself, uh, they're the ones who you know entertain. And you used to see the crowd. You used to see you know all the West Indian fans. You know, you see you know go to the, the Test matches. It was a you know wonderful atmosphere. Uh, and I think that you know made me fall in love with the game. Um, you know. You no longer, you know, you no longer see that. Uh, I remember one of the things, especially when I was on the MCC Ground Star, and 
you know, I, I was sort of bowling to the West Indies side back then. And then you used to see, you know, all the supporters, you know, at Lords. Um, you know, it was just, it was terrific. It was terrific. And that's what really made me fall in love with the game. Did you have a particular hero growing up, someone who you idolised, wanted to be? Well, yeah, you know, after, you know, sort of watching those guys play and, you know, you, you sort of, you, you're in awe of them, really, and they, they were great, they were legends. Uh, but the one, you know, the, the, you know, one person, really, who I I loved and watched him play, you know, a great deal watch on TV was Ian Botham. And, um, you know, you used to think, wow, this guy's fantastic. But you're watching him on TV and, and you know, you, you always wish as a kid, you wish, you know, that one day you're going to be professional cricketer or one day you're going to be playing for England or do whatever. And, you know, it happened where I was very fortunate, you know, sort of sort of got selected to play for England, went on tour, and my first roommate was Ian Botham. So, uh, you know... It's incredible, it? Life, it was, Yeah, it was, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a childhood dream, mate, you know, sort of all yeah. came true. Um, so it, it was fantastic. And then and then you end up playing against those great West Indian players. I mean, towards the end of their careers or, you know, sort of uh, the latter end of their careers, you played against those guys and, you, you know, you appreciate and you realise, you know, how fantastic these guys were. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I was very fortunate. And, uh, and, and, those, and, and that's why, you know, that's why I fell in love with the game. Excellent. Yeah, and I guess um, that... That West Indies side from like the sort of mid seventies right up into the nineties was just incredible. It was like a conveyor belt of world class fast bowlers. Um, so I mean, it must have been incredible for you to to grow up, kind of watching, you know, these West Indian bowlers, watching people like Ian Botham, and then, like you say, you then got to, to not only play with Ian Botham but to to room with him. And then obviously you're facing these bowlers who you've, you know, playing against them. Um, these bowlers who you, you know, you've idolised growing up. Um, was there any kind of nerves when you first came up against those uh, West Indian bowlers? Well, if I bit, of, bit of extra padding. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't say nerves. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if we're allowed to uh, use the yeah, word. Yeah, you can say I'm whatever you want. Myself, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Sometimes you lose sleep because you're thinking you're in the next day and you know what's going to go around your head. Because if you, because oh, yeah. if you remember back then, you can bowl as many bounces as you want. You know, it didn't matter where you batted. You know, they, it was, you know, you had to be able to play. If you weren't able to play, then you were going to struggle. Um, so, so yeah, you know, no one, no one. I don't care. tell you, no one likes facing quick bowling, fast bowling. No. I mean, I mean, real pace. No one does. You cope with it and you manage it, but no one does. And anyone who tells that they're lying, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I can't uh, imagine it's that much were, fun having it you know, whiz around your head. Yeah. It's a challenge. It's a challenge and you, you, you sort of, you know, as batters, you know, you, you gear up to the challenge and you get through it and you have your own technique, you find your way of playing it. But I wouldn't say no one enjoys it. You know, some people, after, you know, once they've got in batters, I'm sure, once they're in and they're enjoying the challenge, that's when you enjoy it. But, mm. um, you know, I'll sit your hand up and say, oh, I want more fast bowlers. But yeah, the West Indian side, I mean, you talk about the conveyor belt, you talk about how many quick bowlers they had back then. You know, I was fortunate as well when I, you know, I played for Lancashire where, you know, one week I was open the bowl for quite some background. And 
the next the following week I had Patrick Patterson. So, you know, I was small, small for choice, really. You know, you know, you learn from these guys and you play with these guys. And so, I, in a sense, I was very, very fortunate. Yeah, I was going to say, that's, uh, that's an incredible pair of uh, guys to learn from and, and, you know, train with and just learn on a daily basis to, to get better. Um, how old were you when you made your England debut? I was 20. Yeah, 1920. It's quite young, isn't it? Really, like uh, even now is is well, relatively uh, you know young. But yeah, it, you know, again, you know, I, I was one of those who never played any represented cricket to the junior age group. Um, you know, one, uh, I sort of I went to the wrong school for a start. Um, I lived in the most probably the wrong area in London. And every time, you know, sort of I went for trials, I was just pushed aside. Um, so I never played any representative cricket until, you know, I was fortunate where one of the, the captains at the club side I played for, he was only, he might have been second or third eleven captain, wrote to Lords um, for the MCC ground staff trials. And the only way I got that trial, because one of the guys who played at my club worked at Lords, so he personally took the letter in and said, we got Kid, and somehow I got a trial, and and I sort of managed to get into onto the MCC ground staff, and from there, then we it's the ground staff we used to play against second team, county second team. So you know we played against Leicestershire, and Ken Higgs spotted me and offered me a couple of trial games. And you're talking about Clive from, from Glamorgan as well. I think Glamorgan was very interested in myself as well. So. Um, so I was fortunate in that way, but representative cricket, you know, I, I was nowhere near it. I didn't, I didn't play it at all. And that's why I always say to youngsters, you know, you can get a lot of kids nowadays where, you know, it's, it's so important for them to play representative cricket. It, it, it's, you know, I think it's more important for their parents. And sometimes it's actually, you know, it's not. It's because counties and, you know, the professional side of it, they only look at you when you get to about 16, 17, 18, when you start to, you know, develop. Yeah. So for me, as a youngster, you just play as much as you can. It doesn't matter where you play or how you play. Just play, express yourself. Um, and, you know, and if you're good enough, you know, when you get to 16, 17, 18, I'm sure the counties will pick you up. Yeah, I think, um, like, nah, you um, obviously played a lot of representative cricket growing up. As a, as a teenager, I played a little bit myself, like, as a teenager. I do think wherever you go with cricket, there is an element of uh, going. To, if you go to the right school or you play for the right clubs, you get a look in earlier, if at all. Would you yeah. agree with that, Mitch? Yeah, definitely. You look at the England setup now. I think three quarters of it are private school lads. I mean, myself and Kieran both went to Millfield, which is probably regarded as the best or one of the best cricket in schools in, in Britain. Um, but Phil's point about playing representative cricket, about parents, I definitely agree with because I look at lads that I played representative cricket with, Camorgan 17s, Camorgan 19s, and only myself and one other even got a contract. And we used to hammer Surrey, Somerset, all these fashionable counties. And I don't see why how that can't transition. And the only reason is, is we weren't good enough. And I, and I hold my hand up and said, I had a crack at pro cricket. I wasn't quite good enough. 
Um, but I think the big thing is that some parents seem to think that their kids are the next Virat Kohli's or Pat Cummins when they're 14 because they play for Surrey under-15s. And it's like, well, actually, if you play for Surrey second team and you're scoring hundreds every week at 17, then, yeah, you're probably going to go on and play first-class cricket because that's pretty extraordinary. But if you're just doing it at age group cricket, I mean, ugh, yeah, it's good, but it only counts when you get to, like, 16, 17, 18, and then into men's cricket, I think. Yeah, but the I school agree. thing, definitely agree with. Um, I agree completely with that, though. Um, now, because, like, there was loads of guys at my age who would play, we'd all, like, all played, like, for the county or whatever, at, like, 15, do great. But only, I'd say, a handful were playing men's cricket at that point. And I would say an even smaller group of them did particularly well at, at men's club cricket. But at 15... All those boys thought that they were going to go on to be, you know, professional cricketers or whatever it may be. And I think, going off memory, it was a long time ago. I think one of them nearly did, but actually he chose rugby anyway. So, it's, yeah, um, I definitely it's, agree with it. Yeah, uh, you know, and I think um, if you can get people playing men's cricket earlier, the better. Yeah, you know, Glamorgan have got a system 100%. now that they had early nineties. It was called the Colts, where effectively their academy boys would play in the Premier League down here and it gave players like Robert Croft, Darren Thomas, Matt Maynard, all these guys that went on to have great careers and now they've reintroduced it the summer just gone as their first summer um, and I think that's a, a brilliant thing. If you can get 16, 17 year old lads playing against very good club cricketers, you know, we have allocated pros as well in our league so if they can be exposed to that at 16, 17 that's far greater than playing Surrey and the 15s we Morgan and the 15s, if you ask me. Well, even like, like with Radha, going back, like you played for the Radha men's teams mm. like really early, didn't you? You played, like, like I went in, I think when I was about 14, 15, but I think you were in there before that because obviously you were like very talented or whatever. And like, I don't know if you'd agree, but from my point of view, as soon as I went from playing kids my own age to playing men's cricket, that improved me massively. It also started, started me drinking beers, <laughs> like, by sort of 16, 17 as well, but, you know. It's not a bad thing. Yeah, it's got to weigh up the pros and cons, I suppose. Yeah, um, <coughs> Okay. Well, um, don't, I mean, don't, don't get me about, about the age group cricket. Don't get me I think it's great they can play if they selected and play age group cricket, but I think what they've got to look at it is to, to express themselves, you know, and hopefully improve, and then, you know, you know sort of, and go on and, and, and go on further on. But a lot of them think because they're, not, they're automatically picking those sides or they're in those age groups, that they're automatically going to be pros. And it doesn't happen that way. And I think they're just going to take it for the right reasons and, and use it to benefit themselves. Um, Key, where did you go? Did you go straight from school to professional cricket, Med? What was your route? Uh, yeah, it kind of worked out that way for me. We had the background when we had the Allen Stanford T20 ball situation going on in the Caribbean. We had um, some sport teams in various islands. Um, the island that I'm from, Nevis, actually had one of the pro teams. So I actually left Six Farm and went to join the pro team. And then the next year, when the pro team was dissolved, I was playing first class cricket at 17. Um, and then just a few years later, I was playing 
for the West Indies because at the end of my first season I was already playing eighteen cricket. But I think that youth youth cricket is a flawed system in the sense that when when a kid gets selected at under thirteen or under fifteen or whatever the case is, they literally just progress through the system. Um, and look other kids that are not selected always end up on the fringes. So people develop at different ages. You can't say to me that the kid that was selected at under thirty is always going to be better than the other kid that wasn't selected when they get to fifteen and seventeen. Obviously people progress, some people don't improve. I've seen that a lot. There were some guys that have played youth cricket. They'd be scoring hundreds in under 15 and under 17. Like, Jesus Christ. Every time I see this man, is a hundred. And you get to senior cricket, and they've never played a first class representative match. And you've gone on to have a career. Someone else has come out at the age of 17. Andrew Russell is an example. He was bowling at 70 miles an hour when he was 17. And the next day, his last year on the night, he came up and was bowling at 90-something and hitting the ball out of the path and then, well, you know what he is today. So I think yeah. it's a hard system where kids are just, it's, it's sort of a protective system. Kids are just kept in a system and, and I guess, over-nurtured and not really exposed to the harsh realities of, of cricket and competitive life. Yeah, and I think it kind of goes back to what uh, Nye was just saying about getting kids playing men's cricket as early as possible because I think that exposes you to the harsh reality of it and um, it'll improve you uh, all around. Um, but even uh, just very quickly, uh, Key, like we touched on this briefly last week, um, like obviously even cricketers who have you know, turned professional, represented their country, um, you could come in say, I'll use you as an example, you came into the West Indies side quite young. I was, I'm sure you'd agree that you're a different person, a different player now than what you were when you first broke into the West Indies A side or whatever, because you develop, you mature as a person, you change, you grow, whatever it may be. And I think sometimes cricket has a habit of abandoning people from a selection point of view if they don't do it first time around and sometimes maybe they weren't ready the first time in whatever it might might, might be they're not ready or it might be that the whatever you know there could be reasons whereas second time around they may be more ready for that challenge they may have developed their game or whatnot and I think sometimes cricket is generally can abandon players too quickly would you agree with that mate yeah, I think lots of that as well has to do with the system um, that whatever country has in place. Um, we all know the stories of when Australia was producing great after good. And, you know, you, you technically had to look at getting to the age of 30 before you even considered because of the players that were on the team. And it was literally just that impossible to break into the team. Obviously, if it's a weaker domestic system, it would be easier for a younger player to get in. But obviously, with you, there's that naivety that you could just go on to the international stage against guys that have been hard in the game um, year in year. There's some guys that are naturally just that gifted and just take to it like a fish, a fish to water. And see, Brian Lara's first century is 277. But again, his, his first class grounding has been against Joe Garners and Malcolm Marshall and that stuff. So playing international cricket might have been actually easier for him 
example, in domestic cricket, the quality of bowling that we have is, uh, is, is a lot to do with the domestic structures and how strong those are that will tell how quickly a player will take to international cricket. But I think that a player's peak will probably be between 29 to 32, 34, um, which is, again, the age that teams get rid of players. So it's, it's a bit give and take. Yeah. Um, Nye and Phil, I suppose, were brought up both of you this. Uh, Kira made a point there about when Brian Lara is coming through the domestic scene, he's facing the likes of Joel Garner and, and other world-class bowlers. Whereas now, there's so much international cricket and you've got all these players signed to central contracts, uh, using England specifically as an example. Did you think the English county scene is weakened by the fact that there's so in so much international cricket so maybe the, the young batsmen or the young bowlers coming through are not facing necessarily the uh, a sufficient or the very top players in the game all season round it's kind of you know it's depending on what international games are on they might not get to test themselves at that county level against the very top players. Um, go on, Nye, we'll go to you first and then we'll, I'll go to Phil after that. Uh, there's definitely a, a point to be made there. I think at the moment, England's, especially English, fast bowling is probably the best it's been in a long, long time. Um, you know, they're blokes that don't even get picked that will take 60, 70 wickets every year if there's a full championship season. Um, I think when it was sort of mid-90s, early 2000s, I believe you could have two overseas players in county championship games, which would obviously improve the standard. Um, but I still think that, that county cricket is strong. Um, yeah. It could be stronger. Every league could be stronger, but I still think county cricket is, is very strong. Um, but th- there's, there's plenty of domestic bowlers out there that are still easy, uh, good enough to play county, uh, international cricket, but obviously with England's Seen bowling as it is, it's, uh, they're never, they're sadly never going to play. Would you agree with that, Phil? Yeah, I do agree with him. Yeah, I mean, central contracts has made a big difference, really. This, you know, like you said, just mentioned about you know the English fast bowlers is mostly one of the best around at the moment. Yeah, because we, you know, we look after our bowlers, and uh, which is great. And central contract and, and has come in, and that's helped a great deal. Um, you know, I, I'm always in favour of the county system. I think county cricket is fantastic. Um, uh, you play in all sorts of different conditions, so you're going to, you know, you have to adjust. You learn, you, know, you learn your game. Um, you know, and you know, I, I can only, I can only play county cricket really. I, I think it's terrific, and I, you know, and I've always done that, and and they continue. What, um, what young players are you looking at on the English domestic scene who haven't had a chance yet? That you'd perhaps like to see get a chance soon. Well, I've got to give a shout out to our mate Daniel Beldrummond at Kent. I'd like to see him uh, have a go. I think his his runs over the last sort of eight or nine seasons have been right up there with the the guys who have been picked. Um, I think he was just named in the T Twenty Team of the Year actually. So I'd say uh, Daniel Beldrummond down at Kent. I'd also think as well um, Sam Billings not getting a, a one day contract. Uh, by England is that was quite shocking. I thought. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't really understand that one. Uh, the man scored 180 and 70 this summer, 
um, and, and doesn't get offered a, a white ball contract. You know, he's not going to get a test contract because he's, he's not interested in playing uh, red ball cricket. Uh, I say interested, that's not his forte, but white ball cricket, he should have definitely been in there for me. Yeah, there was a few um, notable names though, mate, uh, from those uh, central contracts that uh, either didn't get them or some big names who didn't get those central contacts. Uh, was it Bairstow didn't get a test yeah. test one? Which I was, I know, like he has fallen down the pecking order a little bit, but I was, I was a little bit surprised that he didn't get one, just because of you know his record overall. Um, I don't know. Were you surprised by that, or did you expect that? Ask here, and he's played against him. I think two times. Played against Johnny uh, Key. Yeah. Were you surprised he didn't get a central contract with England for the Test side, even though he's fallen down the tech packing order a bit? Yeah, Johnny, Johnny should definitely be playing. He's got to figure out a way to happen. last episode me and you had a, a chat about the news and some bits and pieces um, and we, one of the things we talked about was the amount of money which the ECB has lost uh, in lockdown and uh, through COVID and stuff I wonder if someone like Johnny Bears though I would assume is probably on a quite a high rate of a contract whether that came into it that maybe they felt they could save some cash with it I don't know because Joe, like Joe Denley didn't get any contract at all. Um, and that was a bit weird because he had, had previously had a limited overs contract. And actually, he's done all right in white ball cricket for England yeah. um, over this summer. So that was kind of interesting. Then you've got uh, Zach Crawley, Ollie Pope and Dom Sibley all received test contracts for the first time. Don't think there's any big surprise there. No. Would you say? Like they all did. They've all done very well. Um, well, so we have Tom 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 Curran got a uh, a white ball contract, which I think he probably I think he deserves that. Um, you know, he's never let England down when he's played. But then the other thing with that, I don't know how they do it, but like Tom Curran doesn't play every white ball game. Um, when they've got a full strength side to pick from, so I I don't know it's. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how they how they do it. Um, just while we wait for Phil to jump back in, um, have you guys caught much of the IPL over the last uh, last few days, last week? Yeah, I was watching it today. <laughs> Supposed to be working. Someone got a concussion today, didn't they? Um, uh, yeah, Shariara Kumar hit in the head by Archer. Oh, did he? Yeah, Nasty. but he also he bowled, scored like, runs, though, didn't 
Yeah, he was, was like last over the game, but uh, or the innings. But uh, yeah, Archer bowled quick. He also bowled 158 mile an hour beamer than nearly hit uh, someone in the head. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah, did he? That's uh, that could be worrying. Um, yeah. Have you caught much of Vicky? I've uh, been busy the past few days, so I'm setting up a few personal things. But I've, I've seen snippets from it. I've also had it on in the background. Yeah, you're a bus- businessman, aren't you? He's constantly wheeling and dealing and well, sorting all these things out. Well, I'd love to say I just I just keep a company. Yeah, works yeah. well for me, though. Yeah, <laughs> one thing I would have been interested to ask Phil about is like people, every sport has moved on in terms of pace, faster, stronger. Like, while we, I wouldn't be able to answer. I doubt Kieran would. How, like, how did both of them not bat in a helmet against like these guys that apparently bowl ninety mile an hour? Because I'm sorry, but I, you have to surely. Well, it's not just both of them, is it? It's, it's all of them. Yeah, everyone that played cricket. Yeah. So were they that quick? Viv Richards never wore a helmet, did he? No, exactly what I mean. So were they that quick, or I don't know? Have you spoken to any other player? Like they all said that they used to wear lightning bolts, and their era was always the best. Oh yeah, I get all that. Yeah, 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 but like, like Nigel said, it's all got quickened. Like everything is quicker now, isn't it? Because every like sportsmen generally now, no, that's like athletes, aren't they? That's reality, but. In terms of their mindsets, because yeah, of course, because yeah. they're headstrong. So. Yeah. I've actually heard one guy say that Shannon Gabriel's bowling ninety, when the West Indian pace bowlers back then must have been bowling a hundred and ninety. They were that much quicker. And I was like, if they were that much quicker than Shannon Gabriel, I yeah. did not want to face that. No, every sport, football quicker, rugby quicker, harder, athletics. People run quicker, jump further. How can cricket not have got? That, you know, hit the ball what it has. They hit the ball further. They bowl quicker. I um, think it's an interesting. That's really interesting question. That is. The wickets definitely help. The wickets are better now. I do appreciate that. Yeah, covers. Yeah, uh, cover, all covered Those pitches. Uncovered pitches, mate. Against Malcolm Marshall. Oh, I, I'd have been a handful on a length. Fucking twenty have... men around the bat, sawdust everywhere. <laughs> I'd have been batting like Phil Tuffle, mate. What about timeless tests? Oh, yeah, and that. Timeless it's tests. Into day, into day 10. What was it? Uh, ten, like seven, eight test match series. And they got a boat to like Australia as well. Eight ball overs. <laughs> yeah, I get not that. <laughs> not about that. Barely ball six. <laughs> six is enough. I don't know how they're going to do it in the hundred as well. Like ten ball overs and you can bowl two in a row. You can select a bowler to bowl two in a row. So some so someone can bowl twenty balls. Yeah. Ten from one end and ten from the other end. Yeah. So like it's... obviously you're gonna have someone like Archer that's gonna bowl twenty overs every game. So that's what's that twenty percent of your innings gone. But you can only pick one to bowl twenty overs. Uh, twenty balls, sorry. That's a lot of balls in a row. Your <laughs> pro with the white ball is like Completely next level, isn't it? it? Just sort of skids on as well. Well, maybe five, maybe six, doesn't matter if it's skids on that way. Yeah. He bowled quick today as well. He bowled very quick today. And those those pitches in Dubai are tiny. 
played on all three of those ones, and they are well. Charger's tiny. Charger is. I don't. I, I. It's great that they're playing it there, but as a bowler, it must be fucking depressing. <laughs> that's, that's actually one of the most won internationals in the history. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like sixty meters. You've only got that's a plane. That's nothing, mate. That is that sixty meters. And when guys are bowling at that speed, if you just top edge it, it's going out the stadium. <laughs> as soon as the way he does. Oh yeah. That's why uh, Joffre is bowling so fast, and it's trying to just get uh, past the batsman. That's the one thing I could never understand: how like those guys like Rohit Sharma can pick a ball up at that speed and literally hit it out of the park. Like, I just, I could never play the short ball, so I just left it. Whereas he just stands there and hits it out of Dubai. <laughs> Mumba is actually a quick pitch. So he's actually grown up on a bouncy pitch. And they've got some quite quick bowlers as well there. Yeah. So, yeah, he's grown up on it. But some of the like other guys, I don't know how they, don't know how they do it. Who is the quick, who's the quickest bowler you faced, uh, Key? Mitchell Johnson. Eh? Yeah. Yeah? Mitchell Johnson. Yeah. Is he quick? She <laughs> made Jonathan Trotten play. That's so quick. Yeah. He's stupid quick. We played a world match in our first. I was batting with Ian Dover. He pitched up one and I hit him back over his head for six. Oh, thanks for all the short. He just came out to Michael Clark. Send the squillet back. I'm going to break his fucking ribs. <laughs> <laughs> Before, like, while he was running up, I already started to jump. <laughs> Long pass. Next ball, got a single. Um, came in and said to Bravo, well, you're going to have to face the rest of this spell over long because I'm not coming back on that. Yeah. <laughs> no, you stay there, mate. <laughs> no. Strong nose. And I'm facing Faulkner from the next and bowling at 82. Really. Yeah, nice. That'll do. Yeah. Well, good. I think uh, start was quick. Start was quick. That's um, not he's pitching the ball up so he's yeah, not and, and I found he had a nice really good action so you can actually like watch the ball I'm okay with that Timar Mills was horrible because he he bowled quick but he bowled short every ball and then Sean Tate when he came to Glamorgan yeah I, I didn't fancy that and, and Matt Maynard was like we'll ask him on Friday he goes oh no you can stick your pads on for what <laughs> first net session over and he was just peppering me I was like oh please get me out of here <laughs> Brittany was quick but that was the end of his Tino Best was sharp man I've never really found Tino to be like uncomfortable because I guess you know it's coming so. yeah sure and he just abused me for a good five overs like everything I was okay. like um Fidel Edwards was awkward because of his angle, he was up in yeah, low arm. What's that? Uh, the moment who's out there? England boys. Well, they're all well, Archer. He'd be up there. I never faced him. I wouldn't really want to now, to be honest. <laughs> no, don't fancy that. No, 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 thanks. Shannon well, Gabriel. Play. So we had this one net session in Trinidad. I was batting with Pet Morris. We had a middle back open net, and. He bowled hit my like a sharp ball that hit his gloves and went for six into the side screen at the Queen's Park in Trinidad. It was the quickest net session I've had for the rest of the screen because Miguel commented, just like um, two days out from the first test, 
and a few boys were coming back from injury to prove their fitness. And he bowled the speed of light, literally like length balls were going straight over the keeper's head, one bounce for four. <laughs> yeah, it's not fun, nah. It's no. not fun. I, th- I, t- I tell you who was quick as well, like, and he was deceptive. I would guess to the show, Simon Jones was rapid. Yeah, he was good. I got faced him in a second team game at Hampshire, and he bowled quick. Yeah, I'll first him. He came to the Caribbean to play in um, the T20 final when Hampshire came out. Oh, yeah, yeah. This was at the point when he's pulling up with four steps. Yeah. And it was coming. I was like, what the hell is that? It's coming through like, really quick. Yeah, I couldn't work out how he literally walked to the wicket. And generated that pace. Like, you see bowlers doing walkthroughs in the warm-up, just, uh, and you're like, oh, okay. He does that, and he bowls full pace. I was like, how do you do that? <laughs> like, you know, for someone who wasn't very quick myself, you run in, you try and get every mile an hour out, but he just strolled in and hurled it down in 90 mile an hour. Literally every ball. Sad, really, what happened to him. You know, he could have been one of England's greatest seamers ever, really, with the injuries. He had a lot of injuries, didn't he? I like, think that was... Ones. Yeah, and a lot to do with that impact on that short of a runner. Or, well, not even a runner, walking to then yeah. slam it down, get all that through your body. Can't be good for your body. Oh, cool. I've seen, I've seen Al Zari Joseph pull some big stars as well, especially on domestic cricket. He bowled one last season in St. Lucia, which is like a green hard top in a pink ball match and it was just like, not fun well it was fun for me I was at first like, I didn't know yeah, just stand there on the 30 yard discs yeah nice one mate keep going we actually bowled the team up for 50 that's all fast as well so right I'll tell you what we'll do then let's finish with a quiz just to finish us off oh, isn't, his cricket knowledge is terrible yeah, he wasn't very good last time. He's going to make a comeback. He's going to make a comeback uh, today, the window key. This is the day now. Not What's sure the uh, key? When was the uh, the longest test test match ever? When or where? When or where? What year? Just give me any detail about it, and I'll give you the point. I reckon it was in Australia. It's got to be England, Australia, isn't it? No. It was in Durban and it was 10 days long. Oh, no. England versus South Africa. It was abandoned. Uh, <coughs> the eighth day was rained off. Um, oh, it was sorry. abandoned. <laughs> yeah, it was abandoned yeah, on the 10th <laughs> day because the ship taking the England team home was due to leave. Fucking hell. 1939, March. Um, so, what, how do they? How do you do that? For ten days. How does the wicket last for ten days? Yeah, could you imagine the state of it? Especially in 1939, it was probably uncovered as well. Yeah, but I, I imagine. And they had rain. I imagine those days it was two innings. So surely on shit wickets like that, the innings would be wrapped up in a couple of days. Unless the bowling's that bad, they couldn't have been. Ten days. Jesus. You have to remember those days. Probably the greatest part of. Yeah, yeah, spot on. Didn't come to watch you, mate. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, right, to finish us off then, quiz questions. Round 
won 10 questions. Nye Norman versus Kieran Powell. The winner takes well, home the trophy. Last, the last time we did a quiz, Nye, I believe you won, didn't you? I always win. So they call me annoying at school because I knew it all. Is that, is that what they used to call him, Keith? Annoying? <laughs> this is the trophy. Oh, nice. So there you go. It's a Mexican wrestler, I think. I don't know. Uh, right. Who was the first player born in the 1990s to play for England? I'll give you a clue. He no longer plays. Born in the 1990s? No longer plays cricket. Born in the 1990s? Right, Phil just said he had a power cut so he couldn't get back on at all. 1990s. Um, right, 10 seconds to have a guess. Johnny Bairstow. Johnny Bairstow is for England, so Europe. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of just I would Zaffer and sorry. Okay, say final answer. Yeah. What's yours, Key? Do, 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 do. I don't know. James Taylor. Oh, doesn't play anymore. Sure. Yeah. Tried to give you a clue. Uh, which was the first English county that Anil Cumbley played? And I'll give the point to the person who says it first. Sorry. Wrong. <laughs> Got to get a, get a guess. I'm going to add in really tense. Yorkshire is wrong. North Hants. So it remains nil nil. I'm going to add in really tense sound effects for these quiz questions. Like, who wants to be millionaire? Countdown. Background. Yeah. Uh, question number three with the score nil nil. Who was the last England captain to play South Africa before the ban? Oh, that's hard. You say what year? Uh, if it was the last game before the ban, it doesn't say the year, no. Mike Brady? No. Oops. No. It says uh, MJK Smith. Another clue. No, me neither. I wouldn't have known that one, and I got the answer in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Question four. Who won the cottage? I'd be amazed if either one of you get this. This is hard. But luckily, Key, question five. I think you've got a good chance of getting Finally. Question number four. <laughs> question number four. Who won the county championships in every season from 1951 to 1958? Yorkshire. Oh. <sighs> Sorry. Sorry. Question number five. Still nil nil. Where in the West Indies did Brian Lara score his record breaking 375? And I'll give it to the first person. Yeah. One nil to Kieran. Nice, let him slip in there. Question number six. Who was the first player to take over a thousand catches in first class cricket? Thousands. Thousands. I wouldn't get that. I didn't even know who it is. Alan Knott. That has to be a win. Yeah. English. 
Jack Russell. I don't even know who it is. I've never heard. Tom. Uh, Frank Woody. Uh, Even uh, if you play 500 matches, it's two a game. <laughs> he must have played a stupid amount of matches. So he played 64 tests and 978 first class games. 978 first What era? What sort of like era? <laughs> 19, 1909 to 1934. So, yeah, I would go. He took. Uh, 1,018 first-class catches, 70, 64 catches at test level. Uh, he scored. Yeah. He bowled at. Huh? Uh, he bowled 94,000 balls at first-class level and 6,000 at test level. Oh, so he whipped the gloves off and had a bowl as well. It looks like yeah. How many wickets? Yeah. yeah. Uh, how many wickets did he take? He took 83 test wickets and 2,000 first-class wickets. Yeah, what bowling average at first class level of nineteen point eight seven, and so what's this guy's name? Frank Woolley. Frank Woolley. W O L E Y. Played for Kent. Uh, batting average forty first class and hey, thirty six tests. Highest yeah, score at first class level three hundred and five. I'm so heard of this bloke. Yeah, yeah. he's got unbelievable <laughs> catch. He had. Uh, I don't know if he was a keeper though, because he didn't have any stumpings. Yeah, you've got to be a keeper and take that many. He must catches. have. But have, then have to be. Then he's an all no, it, it says his role. He was an all-rounder, slow left armor. No shit. <laughs> Unbelievable. My bat, my ball. He was. Yeah. So there we go. Still one nil to Kieran. Three questions to go. Question number seven. What did the ICC stand for before 1965? International Cricket Committee. Close, but wrong. It's not international, and it's not committee. Independent Cricket Council? No. I'll give you one more guess each. Is independent right? No. I'll tell you the first word. It's Imperial. Cricket, cricket, I take it, is the second one. Yeah. Field cricket. Conduit. Competition. What'd you say then? Competition. No, conference. Oh. <laughs> still, still, uh, I need to do something. Yeah. To Kieran. Now he's got to put it out on the questions. Uh, question number eight. Who were the first winners of the Women's World Cup in 1973? Australia. Mm. I'll give you one guess each. See, this is like a limited choice, isn't it? It's Australia, isn't it? India. Oh, no, you should have listened to Kieran. Australia. Oh. <laughs> How do you not... Well, India lost in the final of the last one. <laughs> Question number nine. Still 1-0 to Keaton Powell. Is he going to redeem himself? What is Bob Willis's middle name? W begins with W, what? isn't it? It doesn't begin with W. Oh, G. Um, if you... I'll give you a clue. 
if you look at his famous hair, that is oh, kind, of, kind of a clue. Dylan. Dylan. George Dylan. It's Dylan. Well done, Mike. That takes it to one all with one question to go. But there's a double answer. It's a double answer for this one. Uh, which England batsman? Batsmen. This That's is the one. last question, though. Which England batsman uh, both scored double centuries against India in 1985 in the same innings? I will give you a point for each answer. Uh, How many so guesses do we get? You can have one. David Gower? Wrong. So that's okay. one. You have one guess for each one. I got another guess, though, yeah? Second yeah, player. yeah, for the second player. Kieran's waiting for you to guess. To, to write off two, or two others. Gower. Uh, um, like they're fair. They're, they're, they're well-known people. Like they're, not, they're, not like, they're not like Frank Woody. Yeah, I mean, never heard of that guy. 1985, England. Not many batsmen, English batsmen scored. Is it the same innings or the same test? They both scored double centuries in the same innings against India. I, I reckon that was Eddie's uh, Richard Ellison's sort of era. Okay, yeah, I'd say it would be. Um, I'm surprised at David Gower. Um... Definitely not Gower, okay. Uh, uh, Mike Gatting. There's one. Roll. It's 2-1. No, Kieran, you've got to pull something out of the bag now. And this second one is harder. Um, how can I give you a clue? Was he, was it, is it like... Um, Kieran's got two guesses left as well. It sounds stupid, but was he a batter or was it a... Yeah, Mike Gatting. No, I've already said him. You can't say him. No, no, no. I've got two guesses, and that's one of them. All right, so you've got one guess left. Yeah. So yeah. if you get this one, you win. We're we'll tied at two. Um, uh, nineteen eighty-five. Any questions in here? I'm trying to think <laughs> if I can give how I can give you a clue. Um, uh, he's also been a coach of. Is it David Lloyd? No, that's one uh, guess. He's had two. Yeah, but he. Gatting as well. Yeah, but Gatting was right, wasn't it? You had a guess for each one. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, so I've still got another guess then, if I got the second. Well, you okay. guessed David Gower for the first one. You guessed 73. Yeah, I yeah, suppose I technically you have got another guess. Yeah, I've got another got guess. Mike Gatting right. Yeah. Any questions are in, yeah. Um, to... Well, it's too old, so I'm going to have to find another question if one of you can't get this right. I think we should skip another question. Right, I'll find yeah, Who was question. it? Graham Fowler. Do you know who that is, Nike? Yeah, Durham coach, Durham Uni coach as well. Maybe a little bit of private Liverpool is last question. Any chance? Well, that's make it a bit easier. About the cup question, 2002, something like that. Yeah, I mean, give us a piece of Just something from when you were born, is that? Doesn't even matter when it was, just noise, noise, literally. <laughs> I just don't have a clue about who that was. Frank Woolley. I'm shocked at that. Yeah, how have we not, how have we not heard of him? 
he's better than Sasha and Rocket Boy, isn't he? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was going to say. It's like one of the greatest of all time. Um, baffled at that. Right. How about, how about some ICC World Cup trivia? You can, I'll let you pick a year each. And then you can... Uh, well, the first the first World Cup I remember was like 99 in England. I was seven games These are the these are the years you can pick from. Three questions. 99, 1999 Cricket World Cup. Who won it? Australia. Okay. Very easy. It's all right. You'll have your go now. Ooh, cool. <laughs> what did you have? Um, That's what you next question. <laughs> In 1999 World Cup, there was one, two, three, four, five host nations. Can you name more? England. Wales, Holland, uh, Scotland, and Ireland. Ireland was England, Scotland, Ireland, Holland, and Wales. Um, So there's two points so far. What countries reside? Well, not not Britain. So, <laughs> can you name me? Last two uh, Can you name me three of the grounds from outside England that were used for the tournament? Sapphire Gardens. One. The Grange. Where's that? Uh, Edinburgh. Yeah. One more. Um, the Hague in Holland. The Hague. Something like that. They call their ground. Something like that. I don't know what the one in Holland is. So you get get half point each for those. So you add a grand total of three. Three. Hmm. So you add three out of four. What was the the one in Holland? It's called the VRA Cricket Ground. Amsterdam. Okay. Cricket. Well, what, what year were you, Key? Sorry. 2007. 1977. Yeah, 1977. <laughs> Cricket World Cup. Okay. Who won it? 2007. Yeah, so who won it? Australia. They beat Sri Lanka in the finals at Beachtown. Oh, nah, you could be in trouble here. Pacific, in the dark, in the dark. Lucas got a hundred and twenty with a squash ball in his hand. Yep. 
Okay, so I can't ask you who hosted it. Can you tell me who scored the most runs in the tournament? I get to have a guess if he gets it wrong. You can have, I tell you what, Key, you can have two guesses because it's a bit harder than the questions, which now adds because it's a bit more specific. Oh, what a shout! Two out of two. Ah, you're in trouble here, mate, I'm telling you. I was going to guess Joe Seria. No, Matthew Hayden had a crazy one. Yeah, he did. Um, can you tell me? I got a good tiebreak question if you get this as well. Can you tell me who? Uh, double questions. This is for the. You get a point for each, which will take up to four. Can you tell me who was the player of the World Cup and who took the most wickets? Player. I think I got wickets. I think I got, got the wickets one. Most, most wickets was um, Len McGraw. And player of the World Cup was also Len McGraw. Probably right. Correct. Sorry, no. Sorry. Give, me, give me a little bit of time. Oh, oh, his, his questions were much harder than yours, like. Yeah. No, no. The he- Holland Cricket Ground. No, he <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, but he had to name specific players. I don't know. Northern so, District Cricket Club or something like that. You are then. Um, the the tiebreaker question was going to be um, the attendance for the tournament overall in. Um, in the 2007 World Cup like a tiebreaker who can get closest so finish us off with that okay that one again yeah so you'd have to have a guess and whoever gets closer by 500,000 oh and the rest really? yeah well I tell you that there was an average of 22,000 22,980 per match yeah, there's not tw- 20 games? How many games in the World Cup? That was a lot of games. Though. So you have oh, it's six, group, uh, group stage, Super 8, knockout, semi-final, oh, yeah, and yeah. That's Super 8. 700,000. 1 million. Bang on. One Bang million. on a million. Yeah. Uh, it's one, you would have been closer. It's 1 million, 172,000. Oh, it is a lot. That World Cup had so many different groups and so many different islands. That thing you just said, what's it called? Super 8, they don't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. they don't do that anymore. They used to drag yeah. it out though, didn't they? Yeah. They used to it's cross a lot of games. Oh, I didn't beat Pakistan, didn't they? And uh, Bob Walmer died. And who yeah. yeah. gives it six sixes in an over. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I do remember. That's it. So, I got, I got a good quiz question for you guys, but it's, it's a long one. You can put the answer in our group. Can you name, in batting order, of the most runs scored in the world, 11, in that batting order ever in the history of Test cricket. So they must have scored those runs in that batting position. Oh, so like one. So, so I'll give you number one. So number one has to have scored the most runs in that number one. At number one in the history of Test right, cricket. Right, okay. 
Okay, okay, got you. All right, yeah, we'll have a uh, we'll drop that in the group chat. And we'll, I'll give you number. I'll give you uh, number one to start with. Go on, then. Alistair Cook. Right. So number two. So it's someone who scored the most runs at number Graham two Smith. in the history of Test cricket. No, it's not. It's going to be Gordon Greenwich, doesn't it? Green Gooch, maybe. Uh, we'll have a look. We'll drop it in the group chat, and maybe we'll uh, we'll open the show with that next uh, next episode. We'll uh, we'll read the team out. Obviously, because Phil left, we've had to mismatch the show a bit, and I'll edit it all up, and I'll edit the quiz, and I'll edit the. Uh, I'll put the Mark Rampakash interview in there as well. We'll repair it. You know, it's going to be a, it's going to be a great episode. Um, talking uh, the fastest bowlers you two faced. A bit about sledging. Tino Best never going to come on the show now because Nai told the story about how he abused him. I'm good for you, you know. Get yeah, mate, yeah, get, get him on. on, and we'll just sit here while he just shouts abuse me again. Yeah, <laughs> shouts abuse at knife for an hour. But, um, yeah, man. Um, he got into a big spat on Twitter with uh, Joffrey Archer, didn't he? Not so long ago. Yeah, that uh, was recent, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That was misconstrued. It's quite funny, though. Right. right, right, right. I'm going to wrap it up. Um, big thank you to Phil DeFreitas for joining us. Uh, unfortunately, he had a power cut, so he had to leave. But uh, he's going to be back on for a future episode. Uh, big thank you to uh, my co-host, Nye. Cheers, mate. No problem. Anytime. And you, Kieran, as always. Cheers, buddy. And uh, we'll be back with Matthew Maynard in our next episode. We've got lots and lots of incredible guests from the cricket world coming up. And uh, tell us what you thought of the Mark Rampakash interview. Very interesting chat. Very intense. And um, we'll be back very soon for another episode of State of Play. In the meantime, we bid you farewell. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hey guys, I'm Sai. Welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, and uh, I'm delighted today to be joined by uh, Strictly Come Dancing winner, ex-England international, former Middlesex and Surrey batsman, and one of the most prolific batsmen in county cricket history, Mr. Mark Rampakash. Welcome, Mark. How are you? Thank you. Yes, very well, thanks. Good to be there. Yeah, it's great to have you on. It's, uh, it's a real honour. I'm a big fan. Uh, after, obviously, following your career... Uh, when I was a bit younger and still playing myself, so I'm really looking forward to having a quick chat with you. Um, so what I'd like to do first of all is, uh, so we can get to know you and your tastes a little bit, is uh, we ask you seven quick fire questions and we just ask you to uh, to basically say the first thing which comes to mind. Uh, they're called the Magnificent Seven. Uh, okay, so we uh, first and foremost, uh, favourite grounds to play at? Favourite, favourite ground would be uh, Barbados. Oh, interesting, like that. Uh, ben Stokes, Ian Botham, or Freddie Flintoff? Ian Botham. Uh, angriest teammate? Nasser Hussain. <laughs> uh, most underrated player that you ever played with? Oh, uh, wow. Okay, the Middlesex, um, we had a keeper called Keith Brown in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And uh, he was um, a really uh, excellent keeper uh, and a very uh, often got very really valuable runs. So I think within a county team, he was uh, often underrated because there were other international players around him. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I, I remember the name, certainly. Obviously, there wasn't as much uh, kind of TV coverage back then to watch all the county games, but I certainly remember the name. Uh, Sir Garfield Sobers, Brian Lara or Viv Richards? <laughs> what a ah, choice. That's a tough one, yeah. Well, I'm going to go with Viv Richards because he was my idol growing up. Uh, I remember watching him on the TV uh, in 1976 and uh, I think he remains the best player that I've ever seen and I think that you know the, the fact that he didn't wear a helmet um, you know distinguishes him from all the others uh, not not Garfield Tobers obviously but certainly you know from uh, mid mid 80s onwards um, I know a lot of the a lot of the current players you know they couldn't they, they wouldn't dare think of uh, not wearing a helmet so that courage and bravery that he showed, yeah, for me, he's number one. Yeah, I, I'm happy to hear that as a Welshman. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Richard Fett, former Glamorgan batsman, yes. obviously. But, um, yeah, it's, it's frightening to think that they didn't wear a helmet, uh, so many of them in those days. But, I mean, like you say, Viv was not fond of the helmets. I don't think he ever wore one, even later no. in his career, either. No, he didn't. Yeah, no, he didn't. Madness. Uh, okay, the old lords or the new lords... Uh, wow. Um, yeah, new lords, I think. Okay. Yeah. Is there, for you know, for someone who played there for so many years, is there much of a difference when you kind of stand out there in the middle? Um, prob yeah, probably not actually. Probably not. Um, I mean, you know, the stands have been rebuilt, um, and they've been done very well. Um, but I, I, I think in terms of playing surface and, and the nature of the pitch, you know, there's not a lot of difference. Because they kept the strip the same way, didn't they? They didn't uh, yeah. turn the pitch around. Yeah, I thought. yeah, and the slope's still the same. So, um, yeah, it's not made a huge difference to play in there. Okay. And then uh, finally, the last of the Magnificent Seven, uh, the greatest English batsman of all time. Um, wow. What a question that is. Okay. Um, well, um, uh, look, I, I'm going to say uh, probably I'm going to go with Graham Gooch. And the reason is um, because he was an opening batsman. And um, I've, I've got incredible respect for the guys who, by trade, open the bank against a new ball. It's so difficult. And to do it against the best in the world and to be as successful as he was. Um, uh, yeah, he was he was a magnificent player, and you were very happy when you were in the same dressing room watching him get the pads on. You know, he was going to uh, give you a, a reassuring feeling. Yeah, absolutely, I can hundred uh, percent understand that decision. Um, okay, so that's the the quick fire questions out of the way. So we'll just have a little chat now about some uh, various subjects. Um, but what I do like to do with my guests is um, just briefly, in your kind of in your own words. Um, tell us a little bit about your kind of upbringing and basically how you got to where you are today. Right. Okay. Well, um, so I'm I'm born in England. Um, my mum's English. Uh, my dad came to England in 1960, and he came from a place called Guyana. Um, and so he and his ancestors went from India to Guyana in 1880. So hence my surname is a, is an Indian surname. Um, he came over in 1960 to the UK, had a love of cricket. Uh, we used to play in the back garden uh, and then we moved house and we joined, I joined a local club and, and he joined as well. Um, and, and so that's really how my uh, love of cricket developed. 
uh, like any father and son, you know, we used to play a lot together at weekends and stuff. And um, and I learned a lot of my cricket through my club. My local club were very important as opposed to now, which were probably a lot of the kids that go on to become professionals are, are in private schools. Um, yeah. So my local my local club was really important to me. Um, I signed professional for Middlesex in 1987 at the age of 17, um, which was an incredibly proud moment because I'd seen seen them play on TV and I knew that they had a lot of international players and uh, at that time Mike Gatton was captain of England and he was fantastic for me really um, gave me a lot of confidence and, and really was a, a very positive influence on me and I did 14 years there and then I decided to leave and I went into the 11 years at Surrey uh, which was fantastic as well I knew a lot of the players there and, and as soon as I went there I felt very comfortable in the environment um, so did 25 years as a playing career, um, very, very lucky, stayed injury-free most of the time, uh, and then went on and did five and a half years um, coaching England, which, you know, really enjoyed that, you know, to work with the best players in the world and have a front row seat into international cricket was great, worked with a lot of different coaches. Um, and so currently, uh, I took on a job in January with Harrow School, um, did a couple of months and then of course it closed unfortunately due to the <laughs> pandemic but um it's open now and and so uh, currently that's what i'm up to okay so obviously you made your england debut at, at the young age of 21 um, and you mentioned there that you signed uh for middlesex at 17 what was mark ramprakash like as a teenager because i think i read somewhere that you were you were pretty handy at football as well as cricket yeah, so I reckon probably from the age of 10, 11, I used to play a lot of football in the winters um, and I had a love of football just the same as cricket. Um, and as I got older, uh, you know, I signed um, like a little schoolboy thing with Watford from 14 to 16. I remember as a 15-year-old, Watford went over to play Arsenal um, at London Colney, the training ground, and uh, we lost 7-0 and I was playing central defence. So <laughs> I think that probably told me to concentrate on cricket. Um, but I, I still have a love of football and, um, you know, it was really good, I think, because it helped me, it really helped me fitness-wise, it gave me a good base level of fitness, which really helped my cricket. Yeah, I think, um, like, if it was anything like um, when I played, the, uh, the two seasons always used to overlap, so I always used to get a bit of grief from the cricket people for not coming to nets because the football season would just be starting out or just finishing off and vice versa. Um, but obviously, uh, you had to make your choice, and I'm glad you did because you went on to have a, a pretty sensational career. The um, but just before we get onto the the kind of your your county career and your international career, I did want to uh, go through a couple of things. Like normally, I do not use uh, Wikipedia as a any sort of source of information because it obviously can be edited uh, by people. But I did find some interesting things on your Wikipedia page, so I just wanted to. Uh, discuss some of them see how true some of them are and uh, kind of have a bit of fun with that um but one thing which caught my eye was uh, a variety of nicknames which you were uh, you had or ha according to wikipedia at least you had um and so i kind of wanted to ask you a bit about that if that was all right um so let's see what these list of nicknames are so the first one was uh blood axe um which is a interesting nickname how did that come about well, that was that was actually down to Angus Fraser, who um, 
who uh, felt that at times my uh, commitment and intensity to the cause uh, could sometimes bubble over. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, I, I felt that I, I was, when I was in a, a teenager and, and um, you know, a young professional player, you know, I, I was ambitious. I wanted to do really well and I had a, you know, a bit of fire in your belly. And um, I quite like that. Uh, to see that in in youngsters you know to have a passion for the game and of course um you need that you know if you're going to go on and excel at something um you know you need a determination of course everyone's different and things come out in different ways but um i think that uh, you know i came into a middlesex dressing room in 1987 which was a very boisterous place it was a very macho place uh, mm. there was a lot of um shall we say healthy conflict you know there was a lot of challenging and people said things to you pretty bluntly and I, I stood my ground and um, held my own, I guess, in, in amongst what was a largely, you know, older dressing room uh, yeah. than I was. So, um, yeah, that's, that's that's how that one came about. So, do you feel like in those early days you had a bit of a, a, a bit of a temper or do you think it was more uh, like a, a passion and, and just a determination to succeed? Because I saw that there was obviously like i say wikipedia is very uh temperamental but in the little bit which it says about blood axe it says that teammates uh like graham gooch and adam holly for instance are the two which are named uh had to kind of speak to you or just about your aggression within the game and things like that was that uh something which was uh an issue or not even an issue but like a, an ongoing thing or is that a something which has been put on the wikipedia page which is perhaps not true uh well it's not true no i'll have to get on to uh someone to change that um, yeah absolutely as so as so often happens um you know what is written in print um it's very difficult for individuals to challenge unless you have a lot of money yeah um, and i don't so a lot of things have been said about my career which are aren't true um so graham gooch and adam Holyoke never spoke to me about that um Having said that, um, I, I was, uh, as, as I say, committed um, and I had an intense passion to want to do well. And if I didn't do well, then that would sometimes boil over. And that yeah. is not good. And that's something that, uh, you know, I marvel at the current England players, at the way that they handle themselves in the spotlight, um, the pressures that they're under and the maturity they show uh, when they have the ups and downs that go with the game. You know, you have to be philosophical. You have to understand that you'll have bad days. But as a coach, I certainly am quite happy to see a passion and a fire in the belly of, of young players. Yeah, I've always thought that it's got to be extremely frustrating to be a sportsman or someone in the public eye, uh, you know, wherever, wherever it was a celebrity or an athlete, to, to have things written about you which are, are blatantly untrue. And, like, that's just a, you know, a small example of this wikipedia it can be you know edited by anyone and you can go in and edit it yourself but it's just the fact that it's there and then i'm asking you about that it's it must be incredibly frustrating it must be difficult to deal with when you add in things like newspapers and yeah and such yeah it, it is and and what what you tend to find is that people get tagged very very quickly um and, uh, you know, sometimes those tags uh, are merited and other times um, they're unfair and they tend to um, give an impression uh, or an unfair impression of, of people. So um, I, I 
had no one advising me about the media when I was 17, 18, 19 years old. I, I didn't know anything about the media. I didn't know about playing the media game, PR, mm. you know, your public image. You know, I just wanted to play cricket. And back then, you know, no, there was no mentor around to to sort of help advise me. So, um, you know, I had I had one or two uh, incidents um, that happened. And very quickly, you know, the media jump on you and tag you. And that can be very, very difficult to um, to sort of change that perception. And here I am, I'm 51 years old, and we're talking about stuff that happened 33 years ago. And, you know, that, that can be frustrating because there's so many good things that have happened since then. But yeah, people, absolutely. Choose, people choose and their agenda. And, and so, you know, I get interviewed by you. And even still, the first thing we're talking about is my younger days and, and how, uh, you know, the, the intensity and the passion and the commitment that I showed as a young player, that's not really spoken about. It's more about a couple of disciplinary incidents. Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, like, as a someone who kind of watched you from them, the, for, from when you had your England, you know, your major England debut and followed your Middlesex career and then your Surrey career. I was always a big fan of that intensity. And one of the things which always stuck out to me, and I actually mentioned this when um, I was speaking to Adam Holyoke in one of the shows on our cricket show, um, when he was on, was the 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 level of w at which you were, or the intensity at which you would portrayed on the field when fielding you took some unbelievable you know diving catches and things which at the time really stood out as unbelievable i think these days the fielding you know is, is a different game completely into everyone can field these days but i think that intensity really showed in the way you took to the field um when you weren't batting and again when you were batting i think you can't perform at the level that you did in can county cricket for 25 years um, if you haven't got that intensity and that passion, um, I was just looking at some of your figures. Like you played over four hundred and sixty odd first class games, averaging at over fifty. Like that's a phenomenal record. Um, and I would say, I don't know. Obviously, you would know much more than me. But do you feel that 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 your intensity and your passion for for wanting to be as good as you could helped you to achieve such high standards and you know? first class stats yeah without doubt absolutely and um, the worst season i had uh was in 1993 and that was when all i was trying to do was say the right thing do the right thing and actually it took away all my uh passion and um fire really so yeah. i think coaches have got to be really careful when they're um dealing with young players that you know um uh it's a delicate thing to um to sort of uh, uh get people to um you know play behave as role models of course which is very important but uh, uh, absolutely don't want to take away their um intensity and passion for the game you know ben stokes had to to deal with that obviously in you know uh, in the incident in the aftermath of the bristol incident and he's done incredibly well and he's learned so much from it and um you know i, I learned a lot from it but the the um the passion and intensity, you know, to do 25 years in first-class cricket, you know, to go to Derby on a on a Monday or whatever and try and perform uh, to, to play Test cricket or whatever, um, you know, you have to have, I think, a drive uh, internally. You know, you talk about people talk about motivation, and uh, you know, mine was a love of the game and, and wanting to try and be as good as I could be, and. Um, 
uh, you know, that managed to last uh, a long career, and I'm sort of very thankful for that. Absolutely, and I think you to make your deb like you made your debut uh, for England at a, a very young age, like 21 is is young. Like when I think back to when I was 21, like I, you know, I wasn't um, ma- particularly mature in terms of my decision making. Um, so to play, I know it's different for athletes because it's you know it's their aim. They're always looking for that to to hit the top of the top of their profession or their sport. Um, how did you? What was your reaction when you found out for the first time you were in the England squad? Well, I was surprised um, because I hadn't had uh, I'd had a good England A tour uh, in the winter, and I'd come back to England with Middlesex, and I hadn't started the season brilliantly. Uh, and yet my name was being talked about um, to play uh, in the Test Series that summer. And um, when I was selected for the first Test of a five-Test Series against the World Champions at the age of 21, I, I was surprised. Um, and, uh, you know, I often uh, people often ask me about it, and I often look, look back and think, well, what were the selectors, what were their expectations of me? Because um, when you pick players that young... Um, yeah, the likelihood is that it's going to be very, very tough. And I, I went into an England dressing room with a lot of older players, um, people like uh, Graham Gooch and Alan Lamb were in there, uh, Phil, um, Phil De Freitas was in there, and Derek Pringle, Jack Russell. Um, so I didn't know a lot of them very well. Um, and, and it was a very uh, tough series, and, and a lot of the guys struggled. And by the end of it, Alan Lamb and Graham Hick uh, had been dropped. Um, Michael Adderton averaged nine in the, in the five test matches that summer. Um, so it was a very, very tough initiation. I mean, subsequently to that, you know, since I've been coaching and that, you know, you you sort of try and when you're adding young players to a team, you're you're looking to try and put them in, I think, and select them when they're more likely to succeed and yeah. hopefully establish themselves. And of course, look, the England England environment was a very different place back then in '91. You know, the management was really non-existent and. We didn't really have much of a team atmosphere because when you played and the match finished, you know, you said goodbye to people, not sure if you'd see them at the next game. So it was a bit of a revolving door in terms of players and stuff. Um, So, look, it's a very tough initiation. um, And, you know, perhaps uh, that tough start, although I ended up playing all five games, you know, I only had top scored at 29 and, and I didn't really jump the hurdle to make me feel as though I belonged at that level uh, and then things became very tough yeah I mean psychologically is it difficult when you're coming in at a young age everyone around you even the experienced players are struggling with their own form um, and like you were getting starts I think you know you made a few 20s if not I think you've got to start in pretty much every innings or most of the innings during the series without perhaps being able to go on and convert it like is that psychologically difficult for a, a young man to process? And then um, it wasn't too long after that you were kind of dropped in, or the, out of the side, and then you know back in, and then you you were kind of in and out for a while. Yeah, um, I think it is a, a tough thing uh, for young players to handle uh, to be in and out of an environment. Um, I think that uh, you know things have moved on brilliantly since then, and. Uh, England team actually at the moment are very welcoming to young players and I think they have been for probably the last 10 years and um, they make sure that the environment's um, 
uh, a place where you know there's humor the senior players are very accessible um and uh you know sort of barriers are broken down that were perhaps um there you know when i was playing in the 90s you know there's um the central contract system so when people get selected they're more likely to have a run in the side so look you know there's a lot of factors there i think they get a lot of support off the field um and they've got people to turn to if they are having any difficulties so i think you know that's really good and england actually had a um record of um young of young players or new players coming into the environment and, and doing quite well yeah absolutely and i, th- and the, I think what the what they realize now which perhaps they didn't in the 90s and this is kind of a reflection on society generally but is that everybody's different everybody reacts to different motivation everyone reacts to different ways of uh critiquing their performance and i think back in the 90s whether it was in regards to sport or mental health or whatever it may be it was very much a blanket kind of thing everybody was kind of dealt with in the same way whereas these days i think the players are treated as individuals which helps them settle into the side as you as you said um so yeah you um you also you've like you mentioned you've been you've done some coaching with england with the england lions with the england team um and i'd like to think as an england fan that 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 door isn't shut um is cricket coaching still something you've got a, a passion for and something that you would like to do in the future um yeah i, I look i really enjoyed my time i i uh, wasn't sure what i was going to do when i retired in 2012 and uh, graham thought gave me a call and said i would like to do some coaching with england under 17s and um i i I didn't want to drop into coaching for the wrong reasons, i.e. that I had nothing else to do. But I, I went along and I really enjoyed it. You very quickly realise that your career's over. You're an old codger now mm. and uh, you, you're working with the guys in front of you. And it was really, I found it really rewarding, you know, when you feel that you can help uh, somebody's younger guys who have got their careers ahead of them. Um, you know, they've had a real energy and enthusiasm to them. And, you know, you just... You draw on your own experiences, of course, as a coach, um, to to hopefully help guide and advise. Um, and but at the same time, you know, as a coach, you've got to be open-minded because um, you know uh, you never stop learning. And of course, the game itself has um, continued to in- evolve very, very quickly, uh, especially with the, the prevalence of T Twenty. So. Um, I really enjoyed the coaching, um, and, and I, the doors opened, and I, went, I did England Lions, and then the first team, and worked with Peter Moores, and then Trevor Bayliss. So um, that was fantastic. I've gained a lot of experience from that. I would like a role with a little bit more um, responsibility. Uh, so something like uh, you know a, a head coach role would have been really nice to do. Um, yeah. However, you know uh, I went for a couple of interviews, and unfortunately. Uh, you know, it didn't quite happen. Uh, so I took on, on this role with, with Harrow School and um, uh, uh, that has given me a little bit of stability um, and, and it also leaves me some time free to, to do other bits and pieces, you know, so cricket events with the Players Cricket Association or any media work that's perhaps going, uh, which I enjoy. Um, but if, if there were uh, an opportunity uh, in the future, then I'd certainly look closely active yeah absolutely i think it's um it would be a shame to to not 
you know use your your knowledge and experience as we mentioned your your record before and i think as you said about thing uh like we said about the media and things like that i think you know if you're able to pass on that knowledge to the these younger players who have not only got the the traditional forms of media critique in their poor appearance but they've also got thousands of of know-it-all cricket fans like myself uh, <laughs> critiquing their you know their performance every ball and of course every second of every game pretty much is broadcast on tv and radio yeah, yeah. so it's a, it's a difficult time for young players um okay just to f- uh, finish off you mentioned t20 cricket and um and evolution really um you had you did a bit with the uh, the Euro T20 Slam um, is that in 2019? Is that with uh, Edinburgh Rocks? Were you the coach or head coach of that uh, that franchise? I, I was made head coach of that one. Um, unfortunately, the tournament didn't go ahead. Ah, and, right. Okay. Uh, that's why I yeah. couldn't find anything further about it. Yeah, that's right. Um, it was uh, it was amazing because we had a very professional auction at Heathrow Airport and. Uh, you know, it was very well done. It was all covered on TV, and uh, uh, we had some very good names involved in the tournament. Um, but um, unfortunately, it didn't go ahead. So there have been some tournaments like that where um, backers have sort of you know, people have come along and said, "Look, you know, they want to do this tournament," but uh, the money hasn't been forthcoming, and it's been a little bit of an issue actually for uh, a few cricketers around the world. Um, that uh, you know, sometimes things are promised and uh, and then not delivered. So uh, unfortunately, that tournament didn't go ahead. But um, you mentioned T Twenty tournaments. Of course, there are many successful ones all over the globe. And you know, I think right now, you know, a bit, a bit of an issue that uh, is is is, uh, is there globally is that um, you know the glitz and razzmatazz uh, and the money of T Twenty is making a lot of young players. You know, that's that's what they want to do. That's what they want to yeah. gravitate to. And uh, you know, I really fear for the future of Test cricket. To be honest, uh, I mean, what I grew up on was very much um, the longer format, and the reason was because it was accepted by everyone as as the real examination of you as a player. Um, yeah. Because you have to produce your skills over a long period of time consistently. Whereas now, with T Twenty, uh, you can literally, you know, if you get twenty off ten balls, you've had a great mm-hmm. night. You know, if you bowl. Uh, you know, you can go. Hit, bowlers can get hit for a couple of sixes, but if they bowl a couple of slower balls or take a couple of wickets, you know, they they're quite happy. Um, full houses, you know, lots of money, um, and so uh, you know the the whole cricket landscape has changed, and we're going to see that as well next year with the hundred, the launch of the hundred uh, in England. So um, I, I do think that that is detracting from. Uh, people's uh, longer format skills and we have less people who really seem to want to excel at test cricket
Smartcast Network.